We're sitting at the dining room table at my childhood home, just a few miles outside of Bluff City, Tennessee. It's a rainy afternoon. It's late in the day on Friday, and we've got an awesome guest that came down from the Shenandoah Valley. That's correct. Blacksburg, New River Valley, Blacksburg, Shenandoah Valley, all those areas right there. Yeah, Virginia. So... We're about to have a beer with Wes Hodges. Cheers, buddy. Cheers, man. Thanks for having me. You're more than welcome. Been looking forward to this for quite some time. <clears throat> Wes and I have known each other, gosh, probably I'd say close to 10 years. Um, but this is the first time we've laid eyes on one another. That's true. We've uh, emailed, we've talked on the phone. Um, Wes is a guide on the New River, the James River, um, and probably plenty of other water up that direction. Um, yeah, there's been a transition, but we'll kind of get into that, I'm sure, in my story and what, what my new plan is and everything. So so I met Wes uh, back when I was repping for a rod company, and Wes was pretty new to guiding at the time. I was starting to build his business, and he and I had spoken several times about outfitting his business with rods and let's jump even further back before Wes and I knew each other. Where did you grow up? Really small town in, in Northeast Texas. The town is called Elysian Fields. It's basically west of Shreveport, Louisiana, probably 45 minutes east of Tyler, actually where Paul's from, uh, about another 45 minutes to an hour or so. And it's just this big, piece of contiguous family land that we've had, and that's where I was raised at. It is, it is heaven on earth. And actually, Elysian Fields, if you didn't know, is Greek for heaven. Oh, okay. Yeah, and maybe Gladiator, before Russell Crowe storms into fight the, the Huns or whoever the hell he was fighting, he screams, if you find yourself dead and laying in green pastures, you're in Elysium. Perfect. Yep, so I was born into heaven, basically, Jesus-like. And you had how many brothers and sisters? Four brothers. Four brothers. Mm -hmm. And growing up, oldest, youngest? I'm right in the slap dab middle. Right yep. in the middle. Mm -hmm. So you're probably one of the kids that got away with the most. I did. I, my parents didn't pay a lot of attention to me, so that kind of helped me develop my characters or flaws <laughs> that I have. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So growing up in East Texas, um, tell me a, a typical day say like from around high school, you know, and, and as you're growing up, those formative years. So when I was in high school, uh, when I was in high school, my dad worked out a lot of town, out of town. Um, he had a kind of a golf course construction business. So he'd be gone working on golf courses, doing whatever else. And we didn't have the normal chores that typically were there when my dad was home. So I would usually get up early and go fishing at one of our ponds that we had on our property before school um and i would just then 
fish up until the point I had to leave for school, and I'd drive right to school. And as soon as I get off, I'm either fishing or hunting again right after school or baseball practice, whatever I was doing. Um, but it was pretty much every day. Almost 365 days a year, I was fishing or hunting on that property. Pretty nice way to grow up. It was really nice. Um, but even as a young kid, still, uh, it's what we did. I, I more so than my brothers. Um, they were more um, of the intellectual type, you know. Um, was the hunting and fishing something that you got from your father or a grandfather or an uncle or just? No. Just that that's what you took an interest I in just, on your own. Just somehow, um, that's just how my life evolved. My grandfather on my mom's side, he lived in Minnesota, and he loved to fish. So maybe once a year, maybe every couple of years, he'd come down and we would fish. But it was just something that I picked up on my own. My dad took my brothers and I one time, and it was such a traumatic experience that I don't think my brothers ever fished again until 15, 20 years down the road. Me, however, I was just immersed in the fact that we were out fishing. I've never done it before, and I just stuck with it. Long story short, my dad bought a damn bait cash at a pawn shop <laughs> and he didn't know how to use the damn thing and he backlashed it so bad off the first go they threw the whole damn thing in the in the in the water rode us over to shore left us on the bank and drove home he was so pissed off <laughs> and all we had was cane poles and my brothers just started walking home and i was like fuck y'all i'm staying and i just kept fishing and then from then on out it was every day every single day i fished or hunted so out of tragedy arose this this yes yes that's my, pretty awesome it, it really is um and it's nothing against my dad but it was just i mean shit happens right shit happens and for me it just continued to happen and it's just I, that evolved into me fishing bass tournaments all through high school um a buddy of mine had a motorboat and we would run around fish in these tournaments all over texas i'd save up money i mean i had a business when i was 13 cutting firewood and building fences for for ranchers I'd save up all that money and go fish tournaments when I was 14, 15, all up till I graduated high school. That's what I did. That's awesome. Yep. And I, that's it. Everywhere. Caddo Lake, Sam Rayburn, Toledo Bend, uh, Wright Patman, um, always come down in San Antonio, just fishing, lying to my mom about these tournaments. Yeah, it's a school project. Oh, mama thought you were, you were hard at work for school, huh? Yeah, she did. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> you're in high school, mm -hmm. and uh, it's 2001. That's when it evolved. Yep. In a U.S. history class, um, like most people that age in that time, um, and then the, you know, the Twin Towers were hit uh, by the planes. And that kind of, that's a, it was a really weird day. Um, I'd never been a, I never was a, I still am not a bully, but nor was I one to be pushed around. Um, I just kind of mind my own business and if, if, if push came to shove, then we'd fight. But I never, never looked for it, never anything. You guess it's kind of like a, like a sheepdog, really. Just didn't like bullies either, though. Right. And that day just kind of struck me weird. And um, the moment I found out that watching the news and talking to the principals and this, that, and the other, it was actually an attack on the country, I, I went straight and, and enlisted in the military. Um, I just knew that that's what I was going to do. I had to do it. Um, I was so damn pissed off about what happened, as was most people my age. Um, they were pissed off, but a lot of people just didn't take that plunge. Um, I did. I, I went straight in and, and enlisted in the military. And then it took a little bit once I graduated. It took a little bit um, after that, but um, I ended up going to 
um, the Army. I was a paratrooper in the 82nd, um, which is a funny story, too, because I, I, I didn't know what the fuck I was getting myself into. I, I, I was trying to go be a tanker. Okay. So now, you love to fly, is my understanding. I hate flying. So, paratrooper. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. So, that's one there so is. did you figure out, maybe they're like, okay, so if we get this guy, um, his jump wings, guaranteed he's going to get the fuck out of the airplane. Every fucking time. Lightning storm, rain, trees, I don't care. You just wanted out of that fucking airplane. Red light, I jumped. I didn't care. <laughs> I, it was it was ridiculous. I mean, I got hung up in trees. I jumped out one time in a lightning storm and rainstorm, and the red light was blatantly on, and I just jumped anyways. I hated it. I hated flying. Still hate it to this day. Still hate it. So you go through basic. You're mm-hmm. now in airborne school. Mm-hmm. You get out of airborne school, and... They sent me to Fort Bragg. Fort Bragg. Yep, North Carolina. And I was there, and they... <laughs> Damn those bastards. They put me straight into the unit that had just deployed to Iraq for the invasion. Yep. So I'm there, and this is also the same unit that already been to Afghanistan when that all kicked when Afghanistan really kicked off. So this is in two thousand and late two thousand two. Okay. Early two thousand three, maybe something like that. And they stick me into a unit with seasoned Paratroopers. These guys have been deployed now. They're on their second deployment. They started the, 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 the taking of Afghanistan. Now they're going to the taking of Baghdad. I'm like, oh, fuck. These guys are going to beat my ass. Like, it's just so bad. I mean, if you watch war movies, the new guys, you don't want to be the new guy. So in, in early October, they shipped us over to, to fill in basically the gaps that might have occurred with the unit. Um, when I say gap, I mean guys that have been injured, guys that were um, taken out of the fight, um, and uh, there I am fucking flying again um, into Baghdad. Um, another traumatic experience because the, the city had not fully been taken yet. So it's just still active invasion right. at this time. And they do what's called a combat dive. So your father being an aviator, I'm sure he knows what that means. It is basically... Spiral approach. The spiral approach. Exactly right. Yep. And I remember the damn lights turning off in the C-130, and they turned to a green. And then outside, you start seeing these flashes and stuff like that. I guess that they were flying. I, well, I know one thing they did was they, they sent the sparks out, you know, the, the heat things. The, All the flares. Exactly, the All flares. the flares. Yep. So they sent those damn things out, so that kind of lit the sky up. But then those stopped, and something else was still coming into the air. But it was coming up. From the ground. Yeah. Yeah. And they start this damn, well, that guy came on. He must have been from Texas. He's like, hey, boys, you better buckle in. We're dropping in. And he just, like the engine stopped. Everything got quiet. His little, the airmen that are there to control the back of the plane, they strapped themselves into the wall of the plane. Like they're strapped into this shit. I'm sitting there beside these two guys. I don't know who the hell. You're like on a sling seat, right? You're damn right. You got a little butter on your hips so everybody could get in there. Exactly. And I got this damn rucksack between my my legs. I'm just sitting there, all this combat gear. I have no gun, no nothing. And the plane just stops and just falls. And it starts spiraling down. And vomit goes everywhere. Everywhere. My rucksack is above my head. It comes crashing down. And it lasted. It was absolute fucking hell for about maybe two minutes. And then this guy just turns the engines back on or whatever the hell happens, and he just comes to a screeching stop on the damn tarmac. The damn rot, dram, the, the, the ramp opens up, and there was this man standing there 
looking like Achilles. It's my new fucking first sergeant. Get the fuck off this plane. Let's go. And they start throwing us in the trucks, and they drive us right into the city. Wow. That's. Welcome to Iraq. Damn right. And I was like, holy shit. Of course, I get there. They drop us off the base, which is an old chicken factory covered in chicken shit. Yeah, this is a legitimate invasion, covered in chicken shit, and there's sandbags everywhere, and people are running around, and it's night, and there's people yelling at other people to get this stuff, this stuff done. They send us to our hooches, these little canvas tents. Like, look, look like the fucking Civil War, little canvas tents everywhere out there. Like an episode of MASH. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, they don't tell you where anything's at, so, you know, there's, there's berms on one side that people are like, there's a whole platoon on a berm, no chicken wire, no nothing. Just a berm. That's our their firing positions in case someone tries to attack us from this way. And this is a lot to take in for a freaking nineteen year old that was still chasing ass around, you know, <laughs> six months ago. Right. It's just a lot, and I'm just like, what in the hell am I doing here? And there's there's guys crying. I mean, they're they're crying. I, mean, I can understand why. This is a lot, you know. And next thing you know, you find out that your actual platoon is out on a live patrol right now in the zone, the sector, looking for enemy. And when they get back in, you'll meet your platoon. And me, in my head, I'm thinking, like, I know that that's, if this is a weird situation because I don't want to meet these guys. I, I'm afraid to meet them because these are seasoned combat veterans. They're going to they're gonna be picking at every chink in your armor. They are going to beat my absolute ass. And they're going to, I mean, I'm just going to be scum. I'm scum of the earth at this point. Scum. Worse than scum. I am frog shit is what I am. And I know that. And I'm just like, God, I just want to, I want to be accepted by these guys as fast as possible and get out there and do the stuff. So when they roll back in. I happen to be asleep. So <laughs> how, how long did, did you have to get trained up at all before you actually deployed on a real patrol? Or did you just get, hey, let's go, Wes, with us, let's go? It was 24 hours later. 24 hours later. So if you watch the movie Band of Brothers, there's a, there's a, there's a, a series or a season of that one where it's called the recruits get there, the new guys. Right. That's what it's like. You have these, these senior enlisted NCOs, these E4s, these you know, corporals that are, you know, I don't know. These guys may have killed people. They may have dropped artillery. They may have called for fire from fast-moving jets already, and their guys are 19, 21 years old. And they're just like picking apart your life. Everything about it, your gear sucks. You're wrong here. You're wrong here. You're wrong here. Everything about you is wrong. You need to unfuck yourself, this, that, and the other. And, and you're just trying to do good. Like you're doing everything you think is right, but every time you do something, it's wrong. And then you have this E5, your, your team leader, your sergeant. He actually takes you on. He's the father figure. He takes you under his wing. And he's like, look, dude, you have one chance to get this right. I'm going to tell you one time. So do it right now. And you do it. And chances are it's going to be wrong, but at least you feel comforted by this person. Right. Like, this is your... You're getting all this static from all these guys, but this one guy steps up and says, all right, you're going to listen to me, and I'm going to get you through this. But you got to listen close, because I'm going to tell you one fucking time. Yep. That's the man. And if if you're not listening... So, and I didn't know this. You're going to get your ticket punched, and that's not a good thing. Correct. And I didn't know this at the time. I realized it later. This E5, he's the fire team leader. He is my god. He is my God. Right. My world revolves around this man. And I didn't know this at the time. I mean, you hear it, but, you know, like he is the, this E5 is the epitome. Sergeant Rosser was his name. The epitome of leadership. He's big. 
How long? How long had he been? I think he'd been in the military five years at this point. Okay. Yep. And he's just this. He's calm. He's collective. But you could tell underneath his skin, like he will fucking rip you to pieces if you let him down. And, and there's an expectation of excellence. Absolutely. And you, you, it's palpable. You know it. I know it. I can just look at him and tell. Like he's like, you know, all these other people from different places and people that are just above me in rank, this, that, and the other. They're like riding my ass, like hyenas, just hackling me all the time. And this guy's just like, get the fuck out of my way of my guy. He's mine. He takes me in. And it's just like, oh, my God, I can't let this guy down. I mean, he's like my puppy in the truck. Right. Like, this is my dude right here. Everything I do is yep. to please this guy and to mm-hmm. keep this guy happy. Exactly. And that's how the military wants these E5s to be. And, you know, it's funny you're saying that now, looking back through the prism of time. But when you were living it, God, it had to just be, like, overwhelming mm-hmm. what you were going through. It, it, it's a lot. It's a, and I, I remember when I got to leadership position, you see these guys, and they look at you, and, like, you reflect back, and you're like, I know what you feel like. So did you take little pieces of him with you that you when you got to that leadership role down the road? And you have to. And, yes. and do you think you consciously at times was like, I remember – Sergeant so-and-so, and this is what he would do in that situation, or it had become like rote. It, it was second nature. It just happened to be an amalgamation of all of those touches from those leadership positions. Some, I, mean, did you, I guess let me put it a different way. Did you ever find yourself emulating one particular senior NCO that, that, that had had the most influence over you when you were No, I new? think that you're right, right in what you're saying, though, is that you – as you go through the course of the military, you see these people that I like what he's doing there. Mm-hmm. I like that guy for that. I like this guy for that. All these things you take in. On top of that, I, I excuse me, my mother would act this way. I respect her for doing this. Right. This comforting technique she would do or whatever it might be. My brothers. I mean, you take through the course of life, that's what develops a leader. It's not just these one individual moments that set apart. But you can pick and choose what you want based off of what you respect in one person or the other. But... But when I got to the position of leadership, at that point, it, it had been just this big melting pot of different people and, and how, you know, they influenced me and what they did. And things that, even, even things that I fucking hated they did to me, even lying to me or, you know, basically turned their backs to me about stuff, I remember, I remember that. And stuff like, I will never do that to another guy. I will go down in flames before I do that. Before I do that to somebody else, and I still carry a lot of those things to me still this this day in my life, um, and I think it's important. And I, that is the definition of a leadership. But what the good thing about Sergeant Rosser did, though, was he he made me think through everything, and he wanted me to do what I thought was right because he wanted to basically squeeze all the potential out of me so that I could see what I was all about. And from there, that's when you really, truly start to build somebody up. So give me an example of an experience that you've gone through with him and, and, and looking back and saying, you know, he had talked to me about A, B, and C. And, and yeah, I had an understanding of what he was telling me, but until I was boots down that alley or I kicked that door in and this happened, that's when I was able to apply it. So the the 
best way we learn is through failure. Absolutely. I failed this team so bad one night, and I didn't even realize it. He knew it. He knew I failed it from the time I walked out of that out of the of the the cop, the company basically operating post. He knew I failed it because I didn't have a piece of equipment that we needed. Oh shit! And he knew that because he does his checks as a leader. You do your combat checks, blah blah. And he needed to teach me a lesson. And telling you that you'd forgotten it wouldn't have taught you that lesson. He knew that me letting a team down, and and me. Yeah, me letting a t- my team down or letting someone down would hurt me far more than than basically him smoking me for five and a half hours till physical exhaustion. He knew that, and that's a good leader. Right. So we're on this mission, and I was responsible for the AT4, which is basically a rocket launcher to stop vehicles. And IEDs were just starting to happen in this time frame. Now, obviously, they evolved into you know a significant you know, uh, catastrophic weapon used against us. But this point in the beginning of the war, they weren't that good. Um, So they were still using vehicle-borne. Vehicle-borne. Yep. Those were still Command detonate. Correct. Yep. So we're on this mission, and we actually had to stop a checkpoint. There were a couple Green Berets, Special Forces teams that were out doing an operation, and we had to cordon off these roads, these blocks, so they could do this operation. And what he did, he informed the platoon sergeant and the commander of what I'd forgotten and he needed to teach me a lesson so there's a vehicle coming he's like hey Hodges watch that vehicle if it gets any closer you know I need you to get it Hodges get your AT4 ready Hodges get your AT4 out Hodges shoot that truck right now it's coming at us shoot it shoot it shoot it shoot it where's your AT4 at I'm scrambling looking for my my weapon I don't have it and he's like oh my god everybody get down it's just a regular truck they weren't gonna hurt us right but he made you feel like I completely killed everyone on this yes Frog shit again. Uh, I mean, it's and, the, and this is the one guy that, that you've already ascribed. Yeah. I will never let down. I let the man down. I don't want to let him down. I let the entire platoon down. Because there are people running everywhere. People scrambling for their lives. Fuck. Because no one else knew about this except for... His, the guys uphill yep. from him. He yep. said, all right, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to teach a lesson tonight. Yep. And it did. Wow. And then it didn't end right there. So... We get back to the base, the mission's over, they get out of there. And, of course, people are like, fuck you, Hodges. Fuck you, man, for leaving that thing. You could have got us killed tonight. I was like, oh, my God. Um, Like, damn it, guys. I'm sorry. I don't know what to do. So, basically, I was shunned. And they smoked me. You know, they beat me to a pulp, this, that, and the other. You know, but it didn't – I didn't care because every time they're sitting there smoking me up, a tune sergeant smoking me, making me do push-ups or physical exhaustion, whatever it might be, on KP duty, cleaning pots and pans or burning shit, like Vietnam-style stuff. Right. I'm just looking back, and Sergeant Rochford was just staring at me, and he would just shake his head. <laughs> and this went on for weeks, man. I was like, God. And finally one day, I'm at my low point. I'm sick. I actually have, like, dysentery. I'm really sick. You know, and I'm just like, God, no one's going to accept me now. I'm, I'm screwed. You know, and I was like, in my head, I'm like, I'll never do this again. Like, I will never forget anything. As a matter of fact, they kept me off two weeks of platoon, uh, patrols, too. So I wasn't even with my team. They didn't trust me enough to go on patrol with that's, them. Isn't that, I mean, that's a shitty message. You know, it's, it's like, so yeah, you're bad. with us, but you're not going with yeah, us. Yeah, you're not part of us. Yeah. You're in our company, but, or you're in our platoon, but you're not part of us. Stay the hell back there, you stray dog. Like, I'm like one of two new guys in this platoon. And all these guys have been to Afghanistan. They've humped the mountains and the ridges, and they've been fighting for the invasion of Iraq, stuff like that. And this other new guy, he's, he's a good friend of mine. Still to this day, he's a good friend of mine. 
Um, but, you know, even he was like, dude, you fucked up, man. Like, you can't do that. I'm just. How did they, at what point did they let you off the hook? They did after day one, but just, it's just part of it. Right. It's just part of it. It's just that slow reinforcement. Everyone forgets shit, they just don't say something about it. So you said something earlier that I want to circle back to. Um, Obviously, before we sat down to record the podcast, we've been shooting the shit for a couple hours. And you told me that. while you've been in the military, there's been plenty of guys that you've served with that were either surfers, skateboarders, mm-hmm. um, motocross, you know, like I hate using the term extreme sports because mm-hmm. there's nothing extreme about them. It's just a different sport. It's not the traditional sport. But you said we learn from failure. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I think is really important, um, and I like to hear your thought on it, is especially with like skateboarding. I'm very familiar with skateboarding. I skated a little bit, you know, in my formative years. My son skates a whole lot. The skateboarding mindset, and to a lot of a degree, I believe in fly fishing, um, we do the same thing. Failure doesn't really actually exist. It's simply another opportunity to try. And, and, and it's not that you failed at a cast or you failed at a trick. It's just, I got to try one more time. I got to try it one more time. I got to try it one more time until you make it. And then the weirdest thing about it is it's no longer a goal. It's been achieved, and you just set a new goal that's a little bit further out there. And I think that's a really critical mindset that a lot of people miss. They look at kids that are rolling down the street on a skateboard, and they go, look at that loser. Mm-hmm. And it's actually a fucking mindset that kicks ass long term. And you've experienced it with guys in your unit. Mm-hmm. And I think that... that I wish everybody in, a, in the I wish everybody in the world had that mindset. I really do. It's amazing where we'd be at if everyone had that same mindset as I'm not done yet. I'm gonna keep doing it until I figure it out. Right. And it's just it's just this goal oriented mentality that people have. This ambition that, and I've always been that way. Um, you know, my mother always said that I would do something up to the point that I perfected it to what I wanted, and then I go to the next thing and the next thing. So I wanted to be a professional bass fisherman. I fished tournaments till I won you know, best in the state in, in 2001. And then I go from there, I go into bow hunting or whatever it might be. And it's perfected to this, this level of attainment that I wanted. Right. Or what I thought that I was capable of doing. And they just keep going and going and going and going. And I do see the same thing in fly fishing, you know, whether it be, you know, uh, we talked about musky fishing, for example. Right. People go at it and they sit there and they beat these damn fish down until they finally catch one. And once they catch it, it's like they reach that goal. And they don't do it anymore. And some people keep doing it over and over again, looking for that bigger one. But, you know, it's, it's a great mentality to have. It's a great way of, of, of challenging yourself and setting yourself up for, for future success, you know, because you don't quit. And it's, it's like the ultimate evolution. Absolutely. You Absolutely. Know, um, if, if you arrive at a destination and you set up camp, mm-hmm. and you just get comfortable, then from there, where do you go? 
I mean, most people just atrophy and kind of get complacent Mm -hmm. and the world is still moving right past you, but you've, oh, I'm cool and comfortable here, man. I've done it. I've arrived. I've done this. And then all of a sudden, by the time you realize, holy shit, everything else has progressed all the way further past you, you're behind the curve now and you're playing catch up. I'm listening to an ebook right now called Wild at Heart. Uh-huh. Really, really good book. And it's the book is about basically, I'm not going to go into full details of it, but it's basically about the evolution of man and how we're losing manhood you know, in the world. Not just in America, but specifically in America, but also the world itself. And one of the things, guys, the author, he says, is that, that we've established this idea of comfort, and we don't want to leave it now. But in early years, true men, men back in the 40s, you know, during World War II, or men back in the Revolutionary War. Like, discomfort is what kept us progressing. Yes. And that's where, like, I don't like being comfortable. I like it, obviously, but I'm not comfortable being comfortable. I want to keep going, keep pushing myself. I want to keep keep seeing what else is out there, what else is new, or or can I do one more push-up? Right. Can I get one more cast in before dark, or can I really fucking run this rapid? Like, this book's gnarly. Uh-huh. All right, boys, hold your asses. We're going down it. You know, stuff like that. It gives you that sense of fucking freedom yeah. and, and mental freedom. And, and like, you're legitimately just some fucking nomad wandering the earth for that glimpse in time. And that, that's what I love. You know, I've talked with friends, you know, just like the example you just gave of, fuck it, let's do this rapid. That moment where you size something up and, and, and it's it's part of the evolution of who you are. You've you've done something kind of up to and you've walked up to that line and you've looked over it and it scared you a little bit. Mm-hmm. And you tow that line again and you look over it and you're fucking just your nerves are on edge and in and, and that moment when you say fuck it and you do it and you survive it. And that awesome. fucking laughter after the fact, <laughs> you're like, fuck yeah. It's awesome. And it's a lost art, man. It There's, is. It's, well, it's, it's not lost, but it's a dying, it's mm-hmm. a dying trait. And God help us. Yeah. Um, you know, if you look out the window to your, to your left, sweeping around towards me all the way back through there, there are acres and acres and acres of woods. And as a kid, that's where I existed. Mm-hmm. And whether it was swinging on a grapevine that's four inches around from one side of a, a huge chasm to the mm-hmm. other, hoping that we make it, coming up short and falling 20 feet, yep. you know, laying down there, Shit, trying hurt. to get your fucking breath back in your chest and, and, you know, get up and dust yourself off and you finally fucking laugh about it a little bit and you go back up and you do it and you make it the next time. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, kids don't play outside like that anymore. And it's, it's fucking sad. It is sad. And I think that more than that is that from kids of time, like, let's just start at five years old, especially boys. Let's say boys. Uh-huh. They start at five years old and then they hit like 30. Like, they stop fucking being a man. Yeah. Like, from... Five to eighteen, like their whole their progress is all to become this fucking man, and then like they hit college and they like start acting like and doing manly things, you know, not gentlemanly things, but manly things, <laughs> right? And then it progresses, and then they get a real fucking corporate job, and it just stops. 
Like, where'd the adventure go? Like, why aren't you swinging on vines outside your office or something stupid like that? Or getting a wrestling match at the office, you know? Right. Do, like, we're designed to do this kind of shit. Like, yeah. That's what we're for. But oftentimes I see it, and it's just, it's just we just turn into these, these lumps of fucking sausage. So every once in a while, mm-hmm. one of those fucking lumps of sausage <laughs> fucking ends up in your boat. Yes. And you get to see... It melt away, mm-hmm. and that fucking you know if the, if that cartoon light bulb yeah were to appear over top of their fucking head, you you get to see it where they're like, God damn it, I've been missing something in my life, and this is what it's fucking about. Yeah, and it's, it's it, being out here going through this gorge. Yeah, maybe catching a few fish, but fuck, did you see that osprey? Did you see that fucking heron? Did you, hey, can we pull over here? I want to go check that shit out over there. That's right, and. That's got to be fucking rewarding as hell. It's cool to see, and it's cool to see, you know, we talked earlier about, you know, uh, 50-50 in the water and men, women, stuff like that. I think that there are times in which men need to be separated from females and just fucking do man things. I think that there are times that women need to do womenly things. Sure. I also think there's times that men and women should be intermeshing and do things together, these shared experiences. I, I and I'm not saying this not okay for women to do, go out and do "Quote unquote manly things." I have at it. I don't care. But as long I, as it's not on the golf course, correct. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I do think that though that we have to respect the fact that we are a fucking male. Absolutely, it needs to be respected. It needs to be observed, and you observe it by just being around other dudes and doing dumb shit. Okay, like it might even just be being in a being in a boat and just just acting like fucking Christopher Columbus and charging down some crazy gorge, you know, together, and just that shared experience creates this. Huge camaraderie. So, so I don't know why my mind went there, but I the the fucking thought that just popped up in my head was how fucking easy has it gotten for actuarials that deal in life insurance? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like seriously. So, so like you know, the fucking bet is I'm crazy enough to kill myself mm-hmm. before I turn. You know. 50 so i'm buying a you know a 20 year policy or whatever back in the day you had to fill out a fucking form and you know there was a thousand questions of do you scuba dive fuck yeah i scuba dive (laughs) do you fly fuck yeah i'm a licensed pilot um you know and, and then when you send it in they come back with like well if you kill yourself doing this you don't get paid if you kill yourself doing this, you don't get paid. If you, it, now, like, hey, man, can you hook me up with some life insurance? They look at you, and you're like, all right, sausage boy, sign right here. Yeah. Give me your check. I mean, fuck, it's got to be getting simple. It's got to be. I mean, I'm sure that everyone's allowed to have life insurance, except for me. I mean, Jesus Christ. If they actually looked at what I do from a day-to-day basis, I swear to God, I almost die at least once a year, even to this day. I really do. I mean, in college, I was a wood logger, you know, during the wintertime. I was cutting logs down on icy mountainsides. Fucking Christ. I'll never forget that one. So, you know, I, I'm, I've been working here around the property for the last 10 days, just trying to get stuff back to the way it needs to be. And uh, hopefully my wife can't hear over in the living room. She had run to the store. And I'm, I'm a product of my father. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a saying that when the spirit moved him, he would go, like, you know, if there was a certain chore, he might not go do it. He knew it needed to be done, but he'd do it when the spirit moved him. 
Well, I've been working on getting the driveway back in shape, and I knew that I was getting a load, a couple loads, 44 tons of rock delivered the next day. And my plan was I had two or three more limbs about 30 feet up in a pine tree that needed to be cut down so that when the truck had the bed up, it'd be able to you know spread the gravel as it went by. And those limbs had to come down for that to happen. And I was going to do it tomorrow morning. Well, she had run to the store, and fucking A, the spirit moved me. <laughs> so <laughs> I just about fucking died up in that tree because the ladder fucking like started oh, sliding. Shit. Yeah. So I've got running chainsaw in the left hand, and this, the ladder started to go, and I was able to reach and grab another branch and like shimmy my feet and get it like set again. Took both limbs down, then How'd I was you like, feel? Get the fuck back down off here. And I got down. I was like, fuck yeah. It's great, isn't it? Fuck yeah. Got it done. Like you've probably, your son probably feels that way every single time when he gets oh, on that skateboard. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I, mean, I wish that people lived like that every day. Yeah. I mean, you live life to the fullest. And, you know, I have a good buddy. He's one of my best friends. And I'll mention his name, Justin Young. We call him Henny. He's a when, I, when we were young in the military, he was just a drunk lush. And there's a famous comedian named Henny Youngman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he was just, he's a, he's a nutcase. Anyways, this crazy fool, it's a cool story because I think it changed his life this day. Is we go into this village, they get drop us in a helicopter, we're going to go in and raid this village in Iraq. And um, my team, we had the main objective house, the, the house that we had, we'd been reconning it and getting intelligence on it and this was going to be the house and like they're going to be in there west your team's got to go in there get them guns blazing shit's going to happen and we'll keep moving forward and henny was number two so henny was going to be in the secondary home so we had we said it's going to be in one of two houses right west your house is going to be probably the most likely place this guy's going to be at this is his actual fucking home they drop us off we get staged boom hit the house no one's in there henny hits the other house gunfire erupts off the bat, I'm listening to the radio. My best friend, my number two, my, well, not my number two, he's another team. I'm listening to the radio. You know, I think it's white, white two, white two's down, white two's down. That's his call sign. I'm like, motherfucker. They shot Henny. So I'm like running to jump over the wall to go help him out. Gunfire's erupting. They got machine guns going over the top of a roof, shooting this little villet, just this home this guy's in. And of course, Henny gets drug out. You know, I'm like, oh, fuck. Like, yeah, weapons broken, blah, blah, blah. Come to find out, he just gotten shot twice in the chest. Boom, boom. He's protecting, his plate's protecting him. Oh. And he ended up smoking the guy himself. Right. Laying on the ground, uh, him and another guy. Anyways, I look at him after that. This guy's a physical specimen. You know, he looks like fucking Brad Pitt. And right. He, yeah, he's just, he's a, he's a fucking idiot. He's a, he's, a, he's a clown, you know? And he's also from Texas. Anyways, I see him, you know, a couple houses later. I'm like, hey, man. Look like you just saw a ghost, you're right, you pussy. You know, all this stuff. Just the banter we do. He's smoking a cigarette, and he doesn't do that. You know, he eats lettuce and fucking chicken all day long. It's like, he's like, <laughs> He's like, yeah, that one changed my life. Yeah. I'm like, so what's up now? And he goes, I'm ready to do it again. He goes, I feel great. I feel like I'm fucking live, man. I feel great. Like, I appreciate everything. Fucking that, clarity. Yeah. I mean, just just nothing matters anymore except for that. You know, and God bless him. He ended up getting a silver star and everything else for that. So it was really cool. Uh, but just that perspective he has, and he lives life 
so fully and to the day. And he and his wife are just a cool couple, and they, they're, just, they're just so fun to watch on social media because they do the dumbest shit together. And, but they, they, just, they just live it the way I think it really should be lived. I really do. And it's because the fool basically sucked on the end of an AK-47 and lived. Right. It's crazy. I guarantee you he still gets out and does manly shit too, doesn't he? Well, he's still a Green Beret. He just got oh, back. Oh, he's still in. Yeah. All right. Fucking nutbag. Fuck yeah. yeah, he's doing manly <laughs> shit. <laughs> yeah, he sure is. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just that kind of stuff, man, that, 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 that drives me. I love the adrenaline and I love the sense of freedom, especially in this day and age and all the shit we have going on in politics and this, that, and the other. And people feel confined by... Virginia gun laws and this, that, and the other. I'm just living, man. You know, you're just living. And I'm a big believer in just fucking living because you know what? I'm a, I'm a few years older than you. Yep. And I voted in a lot of elections in my life. And I can't tell you truly on a personal level whether the guy I voted for won or the guy I voted for lost that I ever noticed in my real true brass tacks day-to-day life any fucking difference so like to argue politics or to get fucking hyped up over politics is really retarded in my book it is and just live your life just have a good time i mean at the end of the day we live in fucking america yep i mean how blessed are we by that if you want to see what it's not like to live in america in an absolute shithole um, go ahead and head over to a place called Bakuba, Iraq. Okay, that place is an absolute shithole. And, um, or you can just go to Afghanistan and sleep beside some Marine, sleeping in the dirt in a wadi, okay? Yeah. Crapping in a damn hole in the ground and having to burn it with diesel fuel, all right? Or drinking piss-hot water all day long. That's some shitholes. Africa, there's another good one. America, we got it made. Yeah, we, we do. We really do. Even people in poverty here have it made. Yeah. I mean, they, they literally can wake up go to a fucking soup kitchen and get food. There are kids in Africa that wake up and there's vultures eating their fucking foot. Do you see the image on, on, I think it was on National Geographic where there's a baby laying on the ground. Like he can't move. He's so dehydrated and just confined by dehydration. His muscles won't work. And there's vultures coming onto him. And you want to tell me that we owe, we owe this group of people, this, that, and the other. No, Get Absolutely out and, not. Just get out and help yourself and do it. I wake up every day and I vote for myself. And I say that I'm going to fucking be a good person today. Amen. That's what I, that's my politics stop at. Yep. Same here. I treat everybody the way that I, that, that I need to be treated or want to be treated. And if, if, if they want to cross me in a negative way, then we can cross that bridge. But I'm going to treat everybody with, with respect up until the point they don't deserve it anymore. You get what you give. Yep. And that, that's where it at. I don't need a politician to tell me how to live my life or how to be good or what policy is going to help me out. No. Absolutely not. I'm just going to treat you, your family, and everyone else around me that I come in contact with to the exact way that they deserve to be treated. Yep. So, obviously, you did some pretty hard living for seven, eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, takes a toll on the body. It does. It does. So... Your time in the army came to an end. It did, yeah. So it was kind of a weird scenario. Um, in 2004, we actually were coming off of a drop, a jump, um, on a just a just a training operation. It was what it was. The three recon teams, and um, yeah, I transferred out of just basic infantry into reconnaissance. 
excuse me. And then from there, we went to do this training jump, and we're, they pulled us out of the field early. A bunch of rainstorms, snowstorms are coming in. They pulled us out of the field. We all load up in the back of this five-ton truck, troop mover, LMTV is what it's technically called. And we're driving back that night, back to go back to uh, the base. And the driver fell asleep and ran into the ditch. And he overcompensated, flipped the truck, and it started tumbling with us in the back of this truck. I think there's 28 of us in the back of the truck. And there was a canopy on it. So it would have been a lot better if we'd been thrown from the vehicle, but we were trapped inside of it. So every time it tumbled, it would just crush us over and over and over again. I think it turned like three or four times. Hit a tree, stood up on end, and then finally fell back down again. This is what everyone, the investigators are all telling us. And just trapped us. Broken back, ribs, lungs, crushed my ankle, this, that, and the other. Um, four guys ended up dying in it. Holy shit. Yeah, it was pretty gnarly. It was, it was crazy, too, man. You know, it, it also changed. I think about it every day because my new team leader, when I got back from Iraq, I got a new team leader. Sergeant Rosser went off. He got promoted and went somewhere else. Um, I got moved up to a position, and my new team leader was sitting in my – or sitting – well, I was sitting down on the bench. Everyone wants to sit on the benches of these trucks. It's kind of like the hierarchy. Right. My new team leader made me move into a new, I moved me move onto the floor because I still wasn't an NCO yet, even though I'd been to combat. So I sit on the floor. This truck, this wreck happens. He actually died. Wow. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's unfortunate. It's the most insignificant little moments in life that you never see coming or going. Mm -hmm. But, it was. It was could crazy. have been you sitting on that bench, right? You know, and, and you know, I, I still wonder. You know, he's a great man, Sergeant Patterson. I never forget him. He was my team leader. Good dude from Iowa. Great guy. And I still, to this day, I'm just like, I better do fucking good in my life to at least honor him, because that was my fucking seat. Wow. And it's it's hard. Like those are the kind of things that's hard to live with. You know, especially if you know if you fail at something, you're like. You know, how am I doing that man's life justice if I fuck this up, you know, or whatever? But, you know, eventually over time you kind of get away from that, and it's just like there's some big picture here that that needs to happen. Um, and, you know, in, what is it, 2004 that happened? It's 2016 years later. I still remember his name. Yeah. I mean, that's honor. I honor that man, you know, and I I, I – I don't want to say that I appreciate him moving me out of that seat because that just kind of – it's just that I, I, I respect our life path, our crossing. Yeah. It had, maybe if it hadn't been – if it had been somebody else, maybe I would have been stuck there, but it was him. Right. Um, but it's still, to this day, I still struggle with, you know, I better do good in my life to make sure that that wasn't for nothing. Right. My big piece of shit, and I should have died on that damn bench that day. You know what I'm saying? Or, or, or maybe, you know – he moved you because he saw something in you and was like, you know, you're better off down there. You never know. Yep. I mean, absolutely. And it's, so like you say, you you live every day. You know his name. You, yep. you remember his face. And you say, I'm going to do good today. That's right. So that truck wreck happened. They put me in the hospital. I was pretty banged up. A lot of broken bones, this, that, and the other. And they sent me home on convalescent leave. While I was home on convalescent leave for 30 days, they disbanded my unit that I was in. And they were going to, they, were in, they started a test unit um, called RISTA, Reconnaissance Surveillance and Target Acquisition for the 82nd Airborne Division. I was picked up for that. 
So they selected guys that had specialty training, you know, that had been to Ranger School, guys that were, like, really super motivated, that were really going places in the military. They selected all these people and put them under – it wasn't a lot. It was only, like, fucking 300 total. It was a small amount of people. Uh, but a very specialized unit, and they put us all under one roof. When I got back off of leave, they just threw me into the mix. So basically I got lost in the system, if you will. Um, I never went back to the doctor, never did anything, because they just didn't, they, they thought that I had been kicked out of the military. One unit thought that I was out of the military. The medical hospital thought that I was gone with that unit when it disbanded, and they couldn't trace everything back to me. So Thank was, God for red tape sometimes, yeah, I mean, right? Absolutely, yeah. So I'm back in the military. I'm ready to roll. And bingo. Next thing you know, I'm going to reconnaissance school. I'm going to sniper school. I'm going to all this other stuff and employing two more times. And just whatever. Well, in 2010, uh, I'm actually on a combat mission in Iraq, and they basically fucking said, hey, we need you back at the base. you got to come in. They pulled me off the sniper mission back to the damn base. My first sergeant says, hey, you got to pack your shit. You're flying back to the States because you got to sit in front of a medical review board. I was like, nah, whatever. And he's like, no, this is coming from the fucking top, Department of the Army. It's official orders. Wow. Out of combat. You're flying back home. I go back home, and I get... So my, now, you'd, you'd been in the field of operations... I was on a fucking sniper mission. No, no, but for a couple of years. Oh, yes. Yeah, like six, more, six more years. Lost in the mix. And then finally, the paperwork catches up. Yep, finally. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that I did have a P3 permanent profile. So P3 profile can be like you, you obtain an infectious disease, or you get you know, structural damages or support like I had, like I've broken back ribs and all that stuff, right. lost an arm, this, that, and the other. Um, so you can still do certain things, but you have to have with restrictions and basically a waiver from the Department of the Army. Um, well, I didn't have any of it because they just forgot about me. Right. But what happened was I still had this P3 attached to my name, but I just kept going to these schools and doing all this stuff. It was kind of a weird scenario. Anyways... We, we, under President Obama, they did kind of a drawdown, kind of started cutting troops out. Right. Um, the war in Iraq was basically non-existent, just basically completely holding certain strategic locations, and then everybody else had went home. Well, they started cutting everyone out of the military. P3s went first. Psst. If your name showed up on a list, you're out. You're out. Gone. So I get back. Not even debatable. Not, no questions. Yeah, I get back, and I really didn't know what was going on. I've been asked, you know, people have said stuff to me before, like at my battalion level, and um, they they basically said to me, you know, what are you doing here, Wes? You still in? I was like, yeah, I'm good. Okay, yeah, you got a 350 on your PT test, which is well above perfect. You're good to stay, whatever. Right. I get back. I'm standing in this review board or this long hallway, and there's guys in there that are fucking Navy SEALs, I'm sure these guys are Delta Force. I'm sure these guys are Marine Raiders or recon team guys. All these special operations guys, Green Berets, they were on Fort Bragg because this is JSOC, Joint Special Operations Command. They're all in there with me and some other people, and they're calling us in, and you hear in the room, fuck you. I've been doing this for 15 years after this injury. My family, my kids, blah, blah, blah. Fuck you. All, just chopping people out. Left oh, man. Yep, like, like a rotten onion, just getting rid of them. I get in there, and I'm sitting down in front of the thing. They're like, Staff Sergeant Hodges, you understand why you're here? No, the fuck I don't. What's going on? 
Like, okay, well, these injuries happen here. That's correct. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, look here, dude. I've done all this shit after that wreck, blah, blah. He's like, okay, well, you have two options. You go needs of the Army, whatever that is we need you to do, or you're out. I was like, well, what's needs of the Army? Of course, they're like, it could be anything. It'd be pots and pans. Pots and pans, packing parachutes, rolling up tampons for people. I mean, whatever the hell they needed done, they just what you do. And I was out. I wasn't going to do anything else. Right. I wasn't going to do anything else. I owed it to men coming after me to give them what I've learned over eight years in the military and three years in combat. They needed to know. They needed my training and what I've done, my experiences to train them to make sure they're ready to go. And I wasn't doing anything else. And I was out. Fuck y'all. So that was like uh, reaching over and flipping the light switch off. Yeah, it made big it, fucking change. It really sucked. It really did. And I, at first, I really wanted to just, just you know, fuck the man, this, that, and the other. And for for a long time, it was that way. You know, I, I desperately wanted to stay. I wanted to be in combat. I wanted to keep doing what I was doing, and I wanted to be with the guys. I wanted to keep training them, and I wanted to keep. Develop, developing them into these warriors. superb warriors, exactly right. And I wanted to do it together. I want them to develop me. and be, We can all become so much better than what we already are. Um, but it ended. And that, you know, luckily, I, had a, I didn't I have a drinking problem, but I, you know, just kind of turned to drinking, you know, and basically screwed around for a while. Um, at the time, I was dating a girl. She asked me to come to Richmond, Virginia, I was looking more towards doing mercenary work down in Africa, just kind of keeping behind the trigger um, and, and this, that, and the other. And she begged me not to go. And I was just, you know, I thought long and hard about it. And thankfully, my, my wits were always there. I was still able to think clearly and think rationally and kind of think through, through situations. Um, I never got depressed. I never got so down that I couldn't, couldn't operate or function. Um, but I was just pissed. So long story short, I ended up moving to Richmond. That relationship ended. But it got me out of that area, away Uh from that stuff, which I needed to be away from it. I had to be away from those military guys. I had to be away from that that aura, that that testosterone they put off, because that's what I was addicted to. Yeah. And put me back into an actual civilian life, kind of jump-started me, got me going again. And then I had another approach in which I was going to do it. I was like, you know what, fuck it. I'll go back in. I'll go and work in D.C., one of the three-letter agencies. I'll get a job working for these guys, still working for the government with purpose in my life. Right. And that's how I'll do it. So, fuck you, Army. You can't kick me out. I'm going another way. I'm going somewhere else. I'm going to either CIA, DEA, or wherever the hell wants to take me in to pull some trigger time. That's what I want to do. So, in talking to the, 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 some of the agencies, you know, they all say the same thing. College, you know, it's very competitive, which... It really is. With some of the, the guys they're kick, the military has in right now, it's really competitive. Um, that got me into a community college. From there, I started going, uh, you know, getting some, some grades under my belt again, and then that transferred me to Virginia Tech, um, where I studied international relations, economics, and Spanish. During, while I was in college, I'm sitting there interviewing with these guys over the phone. You know, they're sending me test packets. This is a weird scenario. There's like these crazy test packets. You read these things. It's like 400 pages of check the blocks. And Do you smoke weed? No. 
Okay. Did you drink? Yes. Were you smoking weed when you drank? No. Wait. No, I wasn't smoking weed at all. How do, where's that answer at? Right. Yeah. It's crazy psychological stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. When you open the door, did you think about weed? No. How'd you know you opened the door? What? What the fuck are you talking about? It's just crazy. It's all looking for consistency. Yeah, it, absolutely. Nuts. And <laughs> you get random phone calls at random places, you know, like unknown caller, you know, and like you'd be like, you need to go and get out of the bar, come talk to us. You're like, how the fuck do you know I'm in the bar? Like just, just random stuff. So did that for an interview with him for about a year, and then that, that transitioned to me going into Ecuador, where I had to finish up my Spanish speaking because I had to become proficient, like fluent at a language for me to get into this, this program that I'm trying to get into with these two agencies. Moved to Ecuador, and while I'm down there, you know, um, if you've never experienced a South American culture. So you're living the gringo life. Uh, yeah, I am. I'm living the gringo life. I loved it, and they loved me. So we like on the coast? Uh, I was in Quito, so it's right in the middle of the mountains. Okay. But, you know, I took out a big-ass loan just to go down there. I parted my ass off in Ecuador. I took out $10,000 American just to go in Ecuador and study. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of dinero for, for the fucking spent hobla. Every, <laughs> I spent every penny of it. Oh, every, shit. I was loaning people money with no interest rates. Yeah, I just like, take 600 bucks. I don't care. Yeah. I mean, it was it was wild. Yeah, just take $10,000 cash. Just give it to me. You can buy a beer for a quarter down there. I mean, you could buy a fucking city in Ecuador for ten thousand dollars. I think it was crazy. And so every every weekend, I'm packing up some people that I liked in the college there, and we'd pack up, we'd fly some other country or some other city in Ecuador to the beach or to the mountains, Otavalo or Esmeraldas or anywhere, just surfing, partying, just oh. That's insane. It's crazy. Yeah. I blew every penny of Fuck, there's a movie script right there. Yeah, it was nuts. I got to fly fish in the middle of Tampoco, Ecuador. I met this man, like, online, Eduardo Camchoco. This guy had a fucking 17-bedroom fishing lodge in the middle of the mountains. Absolute trout fishing. Trout fishing? Trout. In Ecuador. It's a crazy story. I don't want to say that much about it because he might kill me. <laughs> like he was, but this man, this man had... He didn't have hippos, did he? No hippos. <laughs> But he did have steelhead in one of his lakes. That he would, he's filthy rich. I'm not going to go into how he made his money, but he was filthy rich. And he had so many thousands of acres. It looked like, it looked like the highlands of, of Scotland, like, the, like a moor, like just low brush, uh-huh. always rainy. It's above the, tree, the cloud line. But he had these two lakes on these two different peaks that flowed into one river that he basically had them dredge out and make into a trout river flowing through his land. And he flew in trout wild trout that would breed in his property and they're still to this day i caught the fuckers wow yep it was crazy Crazy. that's insane it was neat and i did that and surfed but my last two weeks there i'm college is out i just stayed for two more weeks just to hang out and whatever else still had a little bit of the 10k left i think i had like a thousand bucks left. i had to get rid of it you know it's it's kind of like a budget you have to blow it all that's right otherwise or you you don't don't get it next year exactly right yeah that's how, that's how I think finances is. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm down there, and I'm at the beach, and, you know, um, out of respect for my, my girlfriend, I'm not going to go into details on how this all evolved, but I end up leaving the hotel room and go to this beach bar, and I'm sitting there, and I'm kind of, kind of at a weird point. I'm actually starting to stress out again. Like, I haven't stressed out in fucking years. And I can't remember the last time I stressed out. Maybe I was in high school. Now, at this point, I'm, like, going into panic attack. Like, God, i got to go back. I've got to be in Washington, D.C. 
I've got to finalize these 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 interviews. Like I have a couple more to get through, and then I'm in, and it's it's no more. Like I'm I'm out of you know existence. I'm doing. I'm out, and I'm like, fuck. I love fly fishing, and you know this life I've been living last night was great, and I just want to keep doing what I'm doing right now. But I've got to get a real job. Society says you have to do this shit, and this is how I need to live my life, and I need to keep serving the country, and this, that, and the other. And I remember just sitting there, like, taking a shot of tequila at this bar at, like, 6 in the morning and smoking a hand-rolled cigarette and drinking a cup of coffee and just like, why can't we do this every day? Who the fuck tells me I can't (laughs) do this? Nothing says that you can't. Right. And it's just like, but but everyone in society says this is the way bums live. That's not a real job. This is not a real way to live your life. You got to get a job. You got to work 40 hours a week, and you have to raise six kids, and you have to... You know, go to fucking church every Sunday, and you have to kiss your wife good bed good night. You know, and all this stuff. It's like, and then then what happens? They're divorced, and you, they end up. You turn into that sack of sausage. Exactly right, and I'm yeah, exactly right. And I'm debating whether I should go on a guy trip or buy a new pair of loafers. Yeah, I didn't. Do I get the loafers for the interview, <laughs> or do we go down to the coast and yeah. fucking rip this shit apart? Exactly, and that's how it was, man. And it's just, it's just like, and, and God bless my brothers. My brothers are awesome. They're all combat Marines, every one of them. And they would have went for the loafers. Would they have? Mm-hmm. They would have. I really believe that. And, you know, they're, they're, they are, I cannot discredit them. They're incredibly successful, and they're incredibly driven. And don't cross their path because they will fucking scalp you because they're badasses. I mean, they really are. But they're just, they're driven by something else that I'm not. Me, I fucking took the surfboard. Good for you. And I came back home and said, fuck all y'all. I'm out. Pull my application. I'm done. And they're like, what? I'm like, I'm starting a fishing guide. I'm going to become a fishing guide. And they're like, cool, but you're crazy. I'm out. My family's like, what the fuck? And I started a guide service in December. <laughs> Perfect time of year. Fucking, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't hesitate. Just fucking get back, graduate, basically go online, fill out the, get my tax ID numbers, like, boom. Wesley, I just fly fish. Actually, it was bearded lady fly fish. Yeah. First. Yeah. Yep. And then I didn't make a fucking penny until March or May or April, something like that. And of course, I was going back to wood logging. Yeah, but it was awesome, though. Yep. But the liberty of it all. Oh, it's great. You're it's like, great. fucking, <laughs> it's Mel Gibson again. Yep. Freedom. Absolute freedom. Fucking Braveheart. I lived, uh, me and my dog Cooper living in this cabin in the middle of the woods in, in Blacksburg, just outside of Blacksburg. And I was waking up in the morning and wasn't using my drift boat that I bought because no one's guiding right now. No one's wanting to fish. But I'm just driving up the mountain to go cut some logs down and come back, go back to the college bar, drink some beers, go duck hunting the next morning. I call the guy that owned the company. Hey, I'm going to duck hunt in the morning. He's like, cool. <laughs> see you when you get here. Yep, see you later. It was just, it was awesome. And then, of course, summer rolled around and still didn't have any guide trips. No one knew who the fuck I was. Of course, no one knows bearded lady fly fishing. <laughs> <laughs> of course, after I started bearded lady fly fishing, there's a fucking news channel. Somebody sent me my uh, uh, a link on, on my, to my iPhone of a, a Russian rock band called the Bearded Ladies. And he goes, of course, his only text message was, nice choice in name. <laughs> <laughs> So I changed my name a year later. To, nice job, loser. Exactly. Like, idiot. Changed my name to Wesley Hodges Fly Fishing. I had no concept of business. I had no concept of it. And, you know, and if I could 
I can take apart a fucking grenade. I can call in a fucking airstrike from an F-16 or an ATOM. But, you know, I can even, I could damn near fucking give you a, a flight plan or drop a flight plan for a Blackhawk. I don't know how to get a fucking LLC. Right. You know, I don't know how to fucking budget for fucking marketing. I had no idea. Everything I've done up to this point has just been just just asking everybody questions. Everybody questions. So did you eventually find anybody that, that kind of mentored you to to get headed the right direction? Yep. I mean, my oldest brother, he has a he's 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 really savvy in that regard. Uh-huh. Um He's helped me a lot in a lot of different things. Um, but he's setting up an LLC. He's a lawyer. So he, he currently right now owns a law firm uh, down in San Antonio, um, the founder of the law firm. Um, my buddy Jason Bowman. Yeah. Um, I'm going to see uh, after we leave here. OGR, right? Yep, Ogre. Yep. He, that man, he, he, can, he can start and finish a business. Like he's crushing it down in Asheville right now. It's unbelievable. And he he helped me a lot uh, on on different things. Um, I still never have written up a business plan. I refuse to write a fucking business plan for a, be a fishing guide. I refuse to do it. But he he writes a business plan like every three months. He writes a new business plan. Yeah, that's probably an exaggeration, but that's just how detailed he is about running and operating a business and the vision and the goals and and he helped me a lot. He really has. Um, but then a lot of it though is just. It's obviously just word of mouth. People hear me. I, I offer free trips all the time just for marketing. Um, you know, I, I, I take people, you know, take a lot of veterans fly fishing, take a lot of projects and watch people fly fishing. Um, I give away a lot of trips just for like donations and stuff like that. Um, I think I'm more in love with guiding than I am making money, which is it's, it's strange and shitty because, you know, I got to support myself and my girlfriend and – I don't have to support her. She she does her own thing, but I don't need to support her. But I've recently in the past three years, I think I've really, really honed in on what it is about the business that I want to do and get out of it. Um, so that's kind of really helped me focus it, focus in on how I want to guide, how to make my money, how to budget it, how to manage what I have so far and what I'm going to do uh, in the future. Um, but starting out, I didn't have a fucking clue. So, You've been, you created a a fly fishing guide service, and at the time when you and I first started talking, you were running your trips out of uh, Blacksburg, Draper Mercantile. Correct. Yep. And since then, which it's been years, years have passed, um, you're now doing way more than just fly fishing trips correct you run hunting mm-hmm. seasonally you were going up to maine correct running a hunting lodge up there mm-hmm. so i mean there's a lot going on in the world of wesley hodges absolutely yeah and i i don't i know how i've gotten here part of me is still kind of confused like, and how, how I've gotten here, because some people say they take calculated risks. I don't. I just do what I want to do. Like, that's cool. I like that. Other people would like to do that. Right. If I like doing it, why wouldn't everyone else like to do it? Because I, I like bird hunting. 
I love duck hunting. I love fly fishing. I love Maine. I love catching redfish in Louisiana. I love going to Montana. And, you know, Oliver White, I had the, he'd probably slap me for saying this, but the honor of being around him for about a week. Mm -hmm. He doesn't like that. He's just, he's such a normal guy that just. You know, I bumped into Oliver, I would say it was three years ago at IFTV when it was down in Orlando. And we just happened to cross paths. Whoever I was talking to, he stopped to say hello to. I'd never met the man before. I introduced myself, and I knew he had just had his son. Oh, Huck. And I didn't talk to him about fishing. Mm -hmm. I talked to him about, dude, how awesome is it that you have this little fucking human? And it was great. I spent maybe five, ten minutes talking to him. It was about being a new dad. And he's definitely salt of the earth. Yes. Great dude. Um, and I know you guys have, you had the opportunity, like you said, to go fish with him. Yep. And and I, I jokingly say this, that I'm one of the I'm probably one of the few people that have Oliver's phone number. That I can text on a whim. And I... Actually, I don't believe that. I think that Oliver's such a genuine guy. He'll give anybody his phone number and help anybody in the industry. Um, there's no doubt that he made it big. He did. For sure. But he worked his ass off to get big. Yep. It's part of his plan. Mm-hmm. Um, he'll even tell you he's lucky, and I agree with him. He probably was lucky being at the right place at the right time. He's also lucky that he's fucking alive. Well, you know, it's it's there's the intersection mm-hmm. of luck and fucking getting after it true true has a lot to do with it i mean you can be lucky mm-hmm. you know a scratch off lotto ticket is lucky taking a, the winnings from a scratch off lottery ticket and fucking doing something with it right that's success you're right so as a fishing guide sitting on your couch and getting one trip luckily a year that you take and it happens to be you know um I don't know who's the richest Donald Trump. And you happen to take that one trip and he wants to invest in your business. That's luck. Yeah. Now going out and finding, you know, Donald Trump off, you're on the ground, boots on the ground. You're moving around, talking to people, this, that, and the other. And you happen to run across the right guy like Oliver did. You know, you're right. That that's hustle. And he hustled himself into success. He really did. So don't take this the wrong way Mm -hmm. um, at all. And, there's a certain glamour of and, and there's this idealistic lifestyle that comes with being a, a fishing guide, mm-hmm. a, a, a successful fishing guide. So there's a lot of kids that, and, and, and I mean it genuinely, kids, because that's what you guys are, mm-hmm. that are in their early 20s that have been watching shit on Instagram and they're like, dude, that's what I want to do with my life. I want to be a fishing guide. But most of them don't realize the work and the effort that goes behind it and the true like trials and tribulations and the, the hard work that it takes to be a successful fishing guide. And I run across kids all the time. They're like, "Yeah, man, I'm gonna get a, I'm gonna get a skiff. I'm gonna be a guide." And I very often say, "You, 
you don't really want to be the guide. Mm-mm. You want to be the guy that's hiring the guide. Like, you know, I, I get what you're saying, but like your your mental outlook on it is you think that you're you're gonna have this opulent lifestyle and they're comparing themselves to like an Oliver White. Mm-hmm. And yep. it's like that's the one-off, man. That's like there, there's very few in the industry that have that level of success. So you need to find something that you're truly passionate about and can be happy doing that affords you the opportunity then to go travel and and link up with the Oliver Whites or the West Hodges mm-hmm. and have those experiences. I mean, how many guides do you see come and go seasonally over the years that – you look at them and you see them. They they got the shiny new the the boat, and they're just doing it for the wrong reasons. Right, and I I think that it's a lot, man. It's a lot. It's all the time. I see new guide services pop up, and they just vanish like ghosts all the time. And you know, if they knew, if they knew how many countless nights of sleep. And how many, how many times that that guys like Oliver, the ones that made it, how many times they, they have, almost lost it all. Right. Everything. They wouldn't think it was so glamorous. Or how many times they got the phone call about, hey dude, when are you going to pay your bill? Yep. Like you know, we're going to come do get. Lose it all. Like yeah. he lost his lodge. Right. He lost it all. Yeah. I mean, you know, and and and. It's it's crazy to think they take this idea that this is such a freaking awesome life by a photo on a Drake magazine cover. Right. Of a guy walking through the flats or rowing a boat in the snow. It's fucking cold, man. Yeah. You know, and the clients, you know, it's not their fault. They just don't do enough. They don't, they can't fish. They they can't cast. And you're expected to get them on fish. And you're, you're doing everything you can. And you're saying the same things hundreds of times over and over and over again, which I'm okay with doing. Because I'm more consumed by the learning aspect than anything else. Um, and, and, you know, it's not always glamorous. It's not, people don't know that I got damned in pneumonia three times this year. Well, and and that's, that's the important part. That's what I want you to share. It's yeah. like, you know, for, for those guys that are like, man, I'm thinking about being a fishing guy. It's, it's, there's a lot of fucking work behind mm-hmm. it. A whole lot of work behind so it. So I did, I did, I think after I read, actually went back and looked at the calendar, I worked 96 straight days. Holy shit. And in that time frame, I caught the flu twice, and I pretty much got pneumonia was in the hospital once. And, and That's just I mean, overnight, waking up, going back, and the guiding in the next day. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's like, yeah. just because you had the flu didn't mean you could take the day off. I go to the hospital, go to the ER, get pumped full of IVs, get pumped full of fluids, whatever they could give to me, and I'm back out again the next day. Because you lose a client, you, you back out on a client, you lose more than one. Yeah, you're done. Yeah, and that's just how it is. And you've got to be willing to hustle. And like you, we talked about earlier, uh, hustle. You got to talk to people. You have to sell yourself. First off, I, I don't like sales. I like talking to people just genuine, just just being out there, communicating to them, talking to them. You know, you can see my social media transition, as you, as you said to me earlier, that it's gone from just these fish pictures. That's not what it's all about. It's about real-life stuff. Uh, teaching dog training, stuff that I use, teaching knots, teaching ways in which I tie flies or casting techniques or, or, or why I do stuff I do. 
You know, that's the good stuff that makes people want to come with me because it's like, damn, this boy's getting after it every day. He's teaching me something. I, when, I, when I take a client out, and maybe this is part of the reason why I feel like I've done so successful, is I guide them to the full extent so that they won't need me the next time they go out. I give them everything that I can give them. Yeah, 100%. I hold zero back from them. I want them to know the exact way to make this cast, the exact fly to tie on, how to tie this knot, why I use six weight rods over five weights or four weights or everything. Well, you even mentioned to me, so after the trip, and it may have been the first trip, it may have been the 10th trip, it could have been the 30th trip because this is a, a guy that you've been fishing with for years. You're, you said something that struck me earlier. You'll get a text from somebody that says, hey, man, I was out on the river today, and I was fishing this stretch, and I, you know, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, dude, that's awesome. Make sure that you're doing ABC just a little bit different than we did the other day. And I think that's hugely important. And I hope that anybody that listens to the podcast understands that you got to be willing to give of yourself Everything. freely, freely with no expectation of anything in return. Mm-hmm. That's truly service, and that's what builds a business. And you've got clients that know that they can text you to share with you because they're 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 actually just like your 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 sergeant. Mm-hmm. Yep. They want to please you. They, they they've seen you in that in that boat, and they're like man, I want to share with him what I'm doing because I'm doing, he told me to pay attention and to listen, and I did. So I'm going to tell him, and then you just give him that one, another little nugget. Yep. It's, it's so important. It's very important because they, they need to understand that, that they don't need to. I, I hope that, that, that I'm portraying this, this, I'm not portraying it. I'm doing it. I am, I'm simply giving them everything. I'm giving them the tools. You know, they, they're, I don't think that they're just, when someone transitions or makes a transaction, a business transaction with me, I get their money, they get my service. What they're getting is they're getting everything that I know. If they ask me a question, they're getting an answer. I'm holding nothing back, nothing. And I, I mean, I'll help them buy rods. I'll tell them, I'll send them links to what, where to get their rods at. I mean, obviously I work closely with Green Top Sporting Goods. I'm one mm-hmm. of their ambassadors. I'm sending them direct links to Green Top. All they gotta do is buy it. I mean, everything, because if, if it's, it's, I want them on the water. I want them fishing. The more people we have fishing, the better our rivers are going to become. Absolutely. And, you know, everyone thinks that, that, that more fishing is going to be bad for the river. It, it will create more population on the river, correct. But more awareness. More stewards. Yeah, the stewards, yes. And, and, and awareness of what's going on the river and this, that, and the other. That's how you start to make revolutions. And you start to change rivers. And you start to have, you know, if, there's, if there is an influx of people coming to the New River Valley or James River, they're going to increase game wardens. When they increase game wardens, they re- reduce the number of fucking meth users on the boat dams or boat launches. When they do that, they start to clean the boat launches up. Then you have businesses start to flourish from that. Then they start having fly shops show up. There's not one fly shop in Blacksburg, Virginia on the New River. That's insane. No, not yet. But... <laughs> 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 but... You know, it's 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 a it's a crazy intertwined industry, and if 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 people put their heart and soul into it, it will flourish. It will. 
If you don't care for a garden, it'll never grow. Ever. Amen. And, and you know, and I go back to Oliver, you know, it's, it's, he's a complete steward. He's a steward for this industry. If I text Oliver right now, he will respond to me, but not because he feels obligated, because he has a responsibility, he feels like. I, I really believe that. And he's such a good guy. And to everyone, and I, I applaud him for it. And that's why he's successful. Not because he's a great businessman. It's just because he's just a good fucking guy. He's, he's a man's man. Yeah, he really is. And he gets it. And best of luck to him or whatever he's doing with that rum company. That's awesome. Frigate. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't tried it yet. I'm hoping, I, I'm hoping to try it sometime I'd soon. I'd love to try it, too. Um, yeah. Whatever he gave me last time I was with him, it was amazing. Yeah, but I'm a bourbon guy. I don't do a lot of rum. So, but yeah. So, uh, moving forward, what's on the horizon for Wesley Hodges? So, one of the problems I saw with guiding on the New River is it's isolate yourself to just one body of water. Um, and the new is big. And what happens is we had a, a year, two years ago, we had a big flood. Not flood, but just constant downpour. And people were sitting on the benches. Guides were. No one's working. It was devastating for guys to do it. 100% of their, their, their income is guiding. 60% of their trips lost. It's like $40,000. <sighs> Huge money. Gone because they couldn't guide. So... I, I don't say I work close with Blaine and Matt Miles, but I do communicate with them. Right. Um, because I don't want to step on their toes out of respect, and I don't want them to step on my toes when I'm guiding. So we text who's guiding, who's guiding where, who's doing what, and it just helps us out. Um, I wish more guys did that in the industry. Yeah, you know, in, down in Florida, where, where I live full-time, um, it's like Lord of the Flies. Yep. Like everybody's fucking out to fucking put the other guy's head, you know. Piggy is is fucking gonna end up on the spear. There's no need for it, and there's no need for it. If nope. if everybody you know would communicate and understand that, just like we talked about two minutes ago, yeah, there's a lot of us out here. But if we were all stewards, if we all communicated, if we all educated our clients. Think of the improvement mm -hmm. this fishery could see. We're creating all these disciples that could go out, and those politicians that we don't care about until we need something, mm -hmm. we could be lobbying those politicians and saying, hey, our estuary, our river needs help, and we've got these thousands of people that are behind it all. But instead, there's all this like infighting and shit that's going on. Clicks, and, yeah. and we have that in Virginia. We do. It's it's so bothersome and childish, but unnecessary. It really is, and thankfully the guides are not like. So you got Blaine, uh -huh. you have Matt Miles, you have myself, and you got another a young guy coming up, Matt Riley. Um, he's down by Abingdon. Okay. Um, um, I'm not. He's helped me guide a couple of trips before, but I'm not just I'm not real familiar. But I typically, if I need help, you know, I have a series of five guides um, that kind of work for me. They help me out. Right. Um, and then if necessary, I go to Matt or Blaine to help me. But they're usually pretty busy. But what I saw, though, is that if I isolate myself to one body of water, the New River, then I isolate my business as well. Mm -hmm. So I just bought a farm on the, the mouth of the James River up by Clifton Forge, Virginia, uh, with the Jackson and the Cow Pasture merged together. 
what that does is it puts me in about anywhere within 45 minutes circumference of about six different bodies of water I can fish in. Three of them, four of them are freestone, meaning that in three days they'll be back down to normal flows. You can fish them any day you want to. The other two are, are dam released, and obviously you're at the mercy of the dam, but that allows me to basically guide mm-hmm. nonstop, period. And I'm, I'm hopefully in April have the first lodging, fly fishing or fishing lodging going in the state of Virginia. That's killer. Yep. So in addition to your fly fishing business, you're actually starting... Bird hunting, too. Bird hunting. Yep. So I've been bird hunting a lot. Um, I got really big into that. I did it when I was younger and then kind of got out with the military. But then the founder of Project Healing Waters, Ed Nicholson, kind of took me under his wing and would take me, no pun intended, and we would go in and we would bird hunt together all the time. Um, I fell in love with it. I love watching the dogs. love watching, you know, how things work and the camaraderie, the challenge of chasing wild birds. Mm-hmm. Um and I adopted it completely. I got dogs. I have ordered, got another puppy from New Mexico, training her right now, and it's full on. And I'm, my next evolution is going to be destination bird hunting trips. Virginia is not the best for bird hunting. Um, but you can call me a purist. I pretty much only go for wild things. I don't go for stocked. Okay. Um, I'm not a big fan of preserve hunting personally. Right. I understand there's a time and place when a newbie coming in, they want to learn about it. It's a great way to get new people started. Or if you got an hour and a half to spare, just go out there, shoot some stock birds, just go at it. Same thing for trout fishing. I don't personally fish for them, but I will guide for them um, just to get people on the water and do this, that, and the other. I prefer. So with the bird hunting, uh-huh. um, grouse? Woodcock. Woodcock. Um, those are the two main species. I haven't really dialed in any place with wild quail yet. Um, I found some. It's not enough to really say I'm guiding for wild quail. Right. Um, but that may transition into a southwest United States hunting. Okay. I work out a deal with a lodge down there. Uh-huh. Um, out in Montana, do cast and blast trips out there, shooting pheasants, shooting uh, sharp tails, and catching trout all in one day. The cool thing about Montana is you can float down a damn river Catch trout, stop at an island, put dogs out, flush fucking pheasants. No shit. On the bighorn. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. So people don't know about that. But destination bird hunting is a big thing. Well, it's a new thing, but it's going to be a big thing because... What about dove hunts? Do you guys do any dove hunts? There's not enough to make... No. There's not. I mean, not like South Texas where you're shooting 16 boxes of shells, you know, and there's just wave after wave after wave of thousands of doves coming in. Here, yeah, you have some good dove hunting in the farms, um, but the problem is is that you sit there and you got 500 doves on average. They're going to fly in there, and you have fucking 100 hunters. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, all you do is you open your mouth, you get filled with lead. It's just pellets flying everywhere, and it's just not the right setting for me to, to have people in. Remember, it's the experience I'm going for, right. not just the harvest. Right. Um, and I took a guy on a grouse hunt the other day, and we walked and walked and walked, and we're beat down and exhausted. My dogs are exhausted. And my little setter, he's walking now. He's so tired. And I said, man, one more cover. He's like, I don't know, Wes. I'm done. I was like, you're not. One more cover. Boom. There they were. All the grouse we needed were in one cover, and he got his bird, his first grouse ever. 
and he was just elated. This guy could have flown back to the truck. <laughs> but it's just, and it's that experience that I'm going for. It's the hunt. Right. It's not the harvest. And and the harvest is 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 the final part of it. And and that's what I want to do with these wild birds is, is keep people on it so they focused on the hunt. Um, it's better for them. It's better for their soul to shoot wild animals, not tamed, you know, which is why I don't deer hunt anymore. I, deer just, they seem so tame now. I just can't, I can't do it anymore. Unless I go to Texas. Right. I'll shoot deer there. But everywhere else I won't do it. People kind of curse me and say I'm a purist, and that's fine. That's what I do. But that's the experience that you enjoy. Exactly right. I'd rather not shoot or catch anything than catch than catch something that's stocked. Period. Yeah. I want them to have fair chase, and I want them to give me. I want them to to humble me too. Right. And and we t- we've talked about that on on multiple levels. Mm-hmm. You know the the coming up empty with zeros isn't a failure. It's not. It's just a result. Correct. And it's, it's how you overcome that. It's what you learn from it. And it's how you move forward in life. Get better. Absolutely. Yep. Well, I know that you've got to head South over the mountain and, uh, it's starting to draw towards the end of the day get you down the road before it gets dark when you go across sam's gap yeah um i do appreciate you stopping in it's been a absolute pleasure and uh i'll be back up here in east tennessee quite often now that uh we've got the homestead kind of straightened back out and uh next time i'll head up 81 and come see you and maybe we'll float and see if we can't stick a little uh Small mouth or something. That's my favorite. Yeah. But thanks for having me. I do appreciate it. Um, I've listened to you guys pretty much from day one, so um, you guys keep kicking ass. All right. Well, we'll, we'll keep trying. Um, how do people find you? Um, you can go to my website. You can do a Google search. Uh, my marketing guy, Justin, badass. Um, Google Wesley Hodges Fly Fishing. It'll pop up there. You can also... Um, Instagram, it's Wesley underscore Hodges underscore fly fishing. Uh, I'm there. Um, same thing for Facebook. Um, you can call me day or night. I don't care. Um, yeah, but you, you can't miss me on the internet. Thank God. My, my marketing guy, Justin Forrest is, is he, killing. he does great work. He, he does. uh, does our website for Taylor trash fly fishing as well as the library project. Mm-hmm. Um, stellar work. Beyond that, if you go visit Wes's website, make sure you check out the media page. Um, there's a really cool YouTube video from Fly Lords mm-hmm. that I think really captures the essence and the spirit of who you are. I really enjoyed watching it. It's a short. It was in the Fly Fishing Film Tour last year. And if you haven't seen it already, you need to check it out. Yeah, man. Appreciate that. All right, brother. Well, let's go ahead and wrap it up, and we'll get you on the road. Yes, sir. All right. Thank you.